If we have not met yet, my name is Meredith, um, and we should meet because it's like winter quarter, but hello, I'm Meredith. Um, tonight I get the privilege of concluding our message series on relationships. So if you guys have been with us the past couple of weeks, you'll remember that we've been talking about a bunch of different kinds of relationships, right? Um, and specifically, we've been talking about how to live them out in a biblical way. And so if you remember way back when, we started the series off by talking about our relationship with God. And then we t discussed friendship. We've talked about dating and marriage. And then last week, Brandon shared about our relationship with our parents. Have you guys been learning some stuff this quarter? Yeah, it's been good, right? I was actually telling our facilitator team this Friday just how proud, proud I've been of this community because I've seen you guys really lean into the stuff that you're learning. Just one example, we've been talking a lot about having difficult conversations and specifically like conflict kind of conversations um, or being, able, being willing to accept confrontation from people and correct the people that we love. And I have just like heard about so many of you guys engaging in those kinds of conversations. And I think that's awesome. Like those are not easy things to do. And I've t had like numerous conversations where I've talked to people who are like leaning into having hard conversations with their parents. I've talked to people who are having healthy conflict with their friends. I've talked with people who are asking for feedback from their facilitator or like their mentor about how they can grow. And that's awesome. So I just wanted to say like, give yourself a little pat on the back right now. Like you actually can, cause that's fun. Um, but like that's that's so good and those skills are going to benefit you guys so much and so way to go like actually applying some of the stuff we've been talking about. So anyway, do you guys want to know what we're talking about tonight? Okay, yeah. awesome. Well tonight we're going to be talking about discipleship relationships. Say that like 10 times fast and see how it goes. Discipleship relationships. You don't actually have to try that out right now. You can do it later. How many of you guys, how many of you guys have heard of discipleship before? Sweet, that's awesome. How many of you would say that you think you have a pretty solid grasp on what it means to be someone who makes disciples? Anyone? Yeah, you can be honest. That's okay. That's good. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, well, a bunch of you guys are way ahead of where I was as a freshman in college. When I first came to college and I got involved in Chi Alpha, I actually came from a church culture that taught a lot taught about a lot of really great stuff, but they didn't talk a lot about discipleship. Um, they taught about having like a relationship with Jesus. They taught about going to church and the importance of like being at church. They even taught about like bringing people who don't know Jesus to church. They taught about like the 12 disciples in the Bible, but they didn't teach a ton about actual like what discipleship is. And they definitely didn't teach a lot about what it means to make disciples or my personal role in making disciples. So when I showed up to college, um, I really thought that people started following Jesus primarily because A, someone brought them to church, and then at church they listened to a sermon, and then maybe after church they would like have a follow-up conversation with the pastor or like go get coffee with them. And then from there they just kind of figured it out and figured out, okay, now I'm following Jesus. Maybe some of you guys can relate to that thinking. So then winter quarter of my freshman year, I took discipleship class, shout out to discipleship class, and one of the assignments we had to do that year was we needed to read this little book by a guy named Robert E. Coleman called The Master Plan of Evangelism. Anyone read that one? Yeah. It's so, so, so good. Um, in my freshman year, you guys, this book like 
blew my mind. Like, I was like, oh my gosh, like, why have I never heard this stuff before? And honestly, to this day, if I could recommend one book to you outside of the Bible, this would be the book that I would recommend. So if you haven't read it, I highly recommend pick up a copy of The Master Plan of Evangelism. It's like so, so, so good. So in The Master Plan, Coleman outlines Jesus' strategy for reaching the world. And his strategy in this book, um, well, in the Bible, (laughs) was so different than what I had been thinking. Okay? His strategy wasn't to get people into a church to hear a sermon. It wasn't to get them to go to like a church outreach event or something like that. It wasn't even to convince them to go get coffee with a pastor. Jesus' strategy for reaching the world was this thing called discipleship. And discipleship doesn't look like big pep rallies or huge events or mass crowds or mega churches. Discipleship looks like personally investing time and teaching into just a few people. Just a few. And it looks like demonstrating for them how to live for God and then releasing them to do the same for others. So Jesus didn't focus on huge crowds. He focused on 12 guys and training them to live a lifetime for God. So I'm reading this as a freshman, and I'm like, wow, this is really, really different than what I have been thinking. And then it also hit me for the first time that not only did God have, like, this different strategy than I'd ever realized before, but he was also calling me to participate in what he was doing. He was calling me to be part of his mission. How many of you guys, side note, I guess, how many of you guys have ever watched a t-ball game before? Anyone? Yes, or really any, like, small child's sporting event will will count for this. Last summer, I was going for a walk. uh, We were visiting Brandon's family, and I was going for a walk by, like, some of the baseball fields by their house. And there was, I don't know if there were games or drills. It was kind of unclear. But (laughs) there was all these, like, little four- to seven-year-olds out there playing baseball. And it was super cute because every time a ball would come their way, they would get the, like, little kids startled look. So, like, they'd be out there in, like, the field looking at the grass or something, and then the ball would come to them, and they'd be like, oh, it's a ball. It's here. I'm supposed to do something with it. (laughs) And they were like, oh, wait, I'm supposed to be actually, like, participating in this game and, like, not just watching? So, guys, this was, like, literally me as a freshman learning about discipleship. (laughs) Okay? I was the kid who the ball came my way, and I realized, oh my gosh, I'm like supposed to be participating in this game. I'm not just supposed to be a spectator regarding Jesus' mission in the world. I'm called to actually have an active role. And for the first time, I realized that reaching people for Jesus isn't actually just something that pastors do. It's not just something that missionaries do or professionals do. It's something that God calls all of us to make a top priority in our lives. And the primary way that we do that, the primary way that we actually participate in God's mission to reach the world is through these discipleship relationships. So tonight, as we conclude our message series, we're going to be talking about these relationships because they're not optional relationships. If we want to follow Jesus, making disciples is just something that God calls all of us to do. So wherever you're at tonight, um, maybe you've been partnering with Jesus to make disciples for like a long time, or maybe you just realized, oh wow, is this something I should be doing? You're like freshman me. Um, I would just ask you to, to be open to what the Lord would show you. I'd encourage you to ask God, like, what is my next step of obedience tonight for where I'm at right now? So as you're taking notes, um, just underline a couple things that stand out or a couple things that you could put into practice right now for where you're at. Sound good?
Cool. Well, that, I'm going to go ahead and pray, um, and then we're going to take a look at the Bible. Can I also have my Bible pastors come forward right now? That'd be awesome. If you need a Bible, you can raise your hand, and they'll get you one. Jesus, thank you so much for bringing us all here tonight, Lord. Thank you so much for getting us through the quarter um, and just helping us with, yeah, school and work and responsibilities and life and all that. Um, so just thanks for bringing us here now, God. And I just pray, Lord, that um, we'd be able to be really present in this moment. I know we've got finals week coming up and a lot of homework and assignments and things to do. But, God, I pray right now we've just, um, yeah, just make space to listen to you and to hear from your Holy Spirit. In your name we pray. Amen. All righty. Well, tonight we're going to ask the question, how do I disciple someone? How do I disciple someone? And to answer that question, we're going to look at three things that Jesus himself did to make disciples. Because who better to look at than Jesus, right? So the first thing that we see Jesus did is that he selected a few. Take a look in your Bibles with me, or I think it's on the screen as well, um, at Luke chapter 6, verses 12 to 16. It says, one day soon afterward, Jesus went up on a mountain to pray, and he prayed to God all night. At daybreak, he called together all of his disciples and chose 12 of them to be apostles. Here are their names. Simon, who he named Peter, Andrew, Peter's brother, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus. Simon, who was called a zealot, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who later betrayed him. So what do we learn from this? Well, the first thing that stands out to me is that Jesus was thoughtful and prayerful about who he chose to disciple. Okay, he was thoughtful and he was prayerful about who he chose to disciple. It says actually that he prayed all night about who to select. When was the last time you guys like prayed all night about something? Has anyone even like ever done that? Like full disclosure, I don't know if I've ever done that. You have to really, really care to pray all night about something, right? So he didn't just randomly choose people. He spent significant time praying and talking to the Lord about who was going to be a worthwhile investment. Do you guys know that God doesn't ask us to make every single one of our relationships a discipleship relationship? And culturally, I think that this is something that sometimes is challenging for us to understand because we live in a world that prizes every single person getting equal investment, right? That's something our culture celebrates. Um, in school, we want every kid to have an opportunity to succeed. In college, we want professors to be fair to every student. We want parents to treat their kids equally. And just to be clear, like, those are great things, <laughs> right? Like, praise the Lord for those things. Those are things that we should be celebrating. But I think when we come from that background, like, that's just our cultural context, and we start talking about Jesus being selective, it can kind of rub us the wrong way a little bit. Because Jesus didn't give every person the same level of investment. He just didn't. Even with the 12 disciples, he spent more time with, th with three of them, uh, Peter, James, and John, than he did with the rest of them. So why? Like, why did he do that? Well, first of all, Jesus knows that not every single person is ready to be discipled. Okay, not everyone is ready to be discipled. Maybe they are just not interested in learning about Jesus right now. Or maybe they are not yet willing to obey him. They're just not ready for some reason. 
And second, he knows that it actually isn't humanly possible to deeply invest in a ton of people at once, right? Like it's hard to even have like a bunch of really close friendships at once, let alone like a really deep discipleship kind of relationship. And so he knows that if we try to like invest so much in so many people, we're going to burn out really quickly. Does that make sense? So Jesus doesn't ask us to disciple every single person in our life. Instead, we get to follow his example, and we get to thoughtfully and prayerfully choose just a few people to invest in. So who exactly did Jesus choose? Well, we don't have time to go through every single disciple on the list, because that's 12 people, and that's a lot. But I did notice one theme among all of the disciples is that they were hungry to learn, and they were humble enough to be taught. They're hungry to learn, and they're humble enough to be taught. Uh, Take Peter, for example. If you guys want to turn in your Bibles with me to John chapter 13, we're going to look at verses 4 to 9. I think you actually have to turn to that one because I don't think it's on the screen. So John chapter 13, verses 4 to 9. It says, starting verse 4. So he, Jesus, got up from a meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you will never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. I love Peter. So at first, he's adamant that Jesus isn't going to serve him, right? He's like, no, 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 no way. I serve you. You don't serve me. But when Jesus gives even just this like tiny correction, Peter instantly changes his heart and he goes all in. Not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. He's super teachable, super hungry to learn. Another example is in Luke 11, verse 1. If you want to flip over a book, Luke 11, 1 says, One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. So again, we see here that the disciples are actually asking them, asking Jesus, Jesus, teach me. Teach me to pray. So they, again, demonstrate that they are eager to learn and they're hungry to follow Jesus, so much that they're asking him, like, Lord, like, teach us how to do these things. And so as we think about who we today can be investing in, who we can be discipling, we can follow this same principle that Jesus followed. You can ask yourself, is there anyone in my life right now who is hungry to learn about Jesus? Like, who is in my life right now who is hungry to learn about Jesus? could be a friend, a coworker, a classmate, a roommate. And I think, too, hungry can look like a lot of different things. I think sometimes when we hear the word hungry, we think of someone, like, hounding us to, like, learn more about something or, like, really, really pressing in. But I think it can look like a lot of different things. It might look like someone in your class who's just asked you a couple questions about your faith but has seemed genuinely interested. Maybe it hasn't even been a long conversation. Maybe the, they've just been like, oh, hey, you're part of Chi Alpha. That's kind of cool. What's that like? Or maybe it's a friend who wants to follow Jesus, but doesn't quite know how to yet. They're just not sure where to start. 
Or maybe it's someone who is already following Jesus, maybe even someone in your core or in Chi Alpha, but they want to take their relationship with him to the next level, and they just want someone to do that with. So I encourage you, just ask the Lord, like, God, who in my life is hungry for you? Who is someone that you want me to start deeply investing in? Okay, the second thing we can learn from Jesus is that he spent extravagant time with his disciples. He spent extravagant time with his disciples. Take a look at Mark chapter 3, verse 14. He says, he, Jesus, appointed 12 that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. Do you guys catch that? It's a little word in there. It says he appointed the 12 that they might be with him. With him. I think sometimes when we picture Jesus doing things, we picture him kind of like by himself. Like maybe he's up on a hill teaching people by himself or maybe he's doing miracles kind of on his own. But in reality, he spent most of his time training up a small group of thoughtfully selected disciples. That's where he spent most of his time. For three years of his ministry here on earth, Jesus like poured his life into these 12 guys. In scripture, we see that he ate with them, he traveled with them, he taught them. He had them like help him minister to people and like do miracles with him. He answered all of their questions because the disciples had a lot of questions, in case you hadn't noticed. And he cared for their needs, he like loved them, and he called them his friends. He spent extravagant time with them. And this is something that Jesus asks us to do as well. Do you guys know that? If you think about most, like, most of the significant relationships in your life, aren't they the ones where you've spent a lot of time together? Because it's pretty hard to have any kind of an impact on someone if you don't do things together, right? Travel back with me for just a minute uh, to my sophomore year in college. My sophomore year in college, Kyle hired this awesome new staff person named Melissa Mead. Whoa. Um, so she was super cool. She was a few, few years older than me, and she was engaged to this also really cool guy named Tony Wynn. Yep. Yep, yep. In case you didn't put those together, it's, you know, Melissa and Tony. <laughs> but just to be clear... <laughs> Her last name's Wynn now. Congrats. Anyway, I was really excited because I got to be in Melissa's core group that year. And what was so special about being in Melissa's core is that it meant that you also got to become part of her life as well. Okay? It didn't mean just showing up for Bible study once a week. It meant, oh my gosh, I like have this awesome friend now who's like so invested in me. And I remember like she would have me over for movie nights. We went on walks together. We would regularly go to Therapy Thursday at Weiniger's. I don't know, do they still call it that? Okay, okay, cool. I'm glad it's still a thing. I know there's still free pastries, but anyway, Therapy Thursday was great. We did that like weekly. And she just like thoroughly brought me into her life. And because of that, I got to see firsthand how she was following God in every single thing she did. Whether it was like interacting with someone at the store, whether it was like interacting with her family or fiance, Tony, um, I got to see how she was following the Lord in everything she did. But she didn't just like stop there either. She invited me into her life and we became awesome friends, but she was also really intentional to actively teach me how to follow Jesus. That meant that we studied the Bible together. She helped me process what I was learning 
she held me accountable and she wasn't afraid to like tell me hard stuff and challenge me and things. Like there's things that I'm like still doing today and that are habits today that if Melissa wouldn't have challenged me in those things, like I wouldn't be doing them right now. <coughs> and so you guys, both of these things that she modeled are imperative in our discipleship relationships. If we're going to disciple someone, we have to spend time with them, but we also must be actually willing to speak up and teach them like verbally how to live for Jesus. Does that make sense? So if there is if there's time, if there's time together, but there's no teaching, you're just friends. Okay? Might be a great friendship, but you're just friends. If there's teaching, but there's no time together, well, then you're just like a professor <laughs> or something. If we want to disciple someone, we have to have both. So I'd encourage you guys tonight, evaluate where you're at with both of those things. Um, ask yourself the question, is it easier for me to invite people into my life, or is it easier for me to teach them things? Like, most of us will probably have a leaning. And then ask yourself, how can I grow then in those areas? If it's more challenging for you to invite people into your life, to open up your life to, to friends, maybe you could intentionally set aside two meals a week to spend time with someone you're discipling. To say, hey, for these meals, I'm going to like purposefully do it with these people. Or maybe you could make a rule for yourself that I'm never going to go grocery shopping alone. <laughs> Anytime I go to the grocery store, I'm going to see if anyone needs a ride and just bring them along. Or if it's harder for you to verbally help people follow Jesus, maybe you should ask a friend to start doing a Bible study with you. Just like practice those skills. Or make it your goal to be more honest with your friends when you're concerned about their actions. Practice having healthy conflict like we've been talking about. Okay, so just ask, ask yourself, talk to the Lord, and say, how can I grow in these areas? Okay, so the second thing we learn, about, learn from Jesus is he spent extravagant time with the disciples the third thing we learn from Jesus is that he sent his disciples out. Okay, he sent his disciples out. Matthew 28, 18 to 20 says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So we've learned that Jesus chose his disciples carefully. We've learned that he spent extravagant time with them, living life together and teaching them his ways. And then we see that he sends them to do the same. He sends them out. Did you guys know that the goal of discipleship isn't just to receive teaching and training? The goal of discipleship is that we are invested into so that we can then invest into others. Okay, the goal of discipleship is that we are invested into so that we can then go and invest into others. And in this passage, Jesus is basically saying, okay guys, like I have taught you everything. You've watched me live. You've been with me. You know my teaching. Now it's your turn. Now, like, go and do the same for other people. Teach them like I have taught you. And guys, this is like the crux of Jesus' plan to reach the world. Right here. Everything hinges on our willingness to obey this command. 
Because if we can like soak up teaching all day, right? We can be experts in what scripture says. We can live an awesome Christian community and have awesome friends and all of these things. But if no one ever goes out and teaches others to do the same, no one will know about Jesus. In like, what, one or two generations, no one will know about Jesus. It will end with us. Think about that for a second. If we never pass on what we've learned, how will future generations know how to follow Jesus? And on the flip side of that, if we take this command to make disciples seriously, we can reach so many people for God's kingdom. We can be so effective because this is Jesus' plan, right? I'm going to go ahead and have the worship team go ahead and come on up. And as they do, um, I have a couple slides I want us to take a look at with some images on it. Yep, okay. So this image compares the super evangelist to the faithful disciple maker. Compares the super evangelist to the faithful disciple maker. So if you see the super evangelist, it says that they can reach 1,000 souls per night for 365 nights a year. That means they're reaching 365,000 souls a year. Pretty good, right? Call that a win. Then you've got the faithful discipler. The faithful, faithful discipler disciples one soul every year who disciples another soul every year. So you have one person discipling someone else who then disciples someone else. Go to the next slide. So in five years, the super evangelist will have reached 1,825,000 souls. The faithful discipler will have reached 32. In nine years, the super evangelist will have reached 3,285,000 souls. The faithful discipler will have reached 512. In 25 years, though, the super evangelist will have reached 9,125,000 souls, and the faithful discipler will have reached 33,554,432 souls. It's crazy, right? If you go to the last slide, in order to save the world, to reach like all the people in the world, the super evangelist will save the world in over 10,000 years but the faithful discipler will save the world in 32 years. God's pretty smart in his thinking, in his plan, right? God's plan to reach the world isn't just through a few superstar people, you guys. His plan to reach the world is through people just like us, people who are willing to faithfully make disciple after disciple after disciple. So as we come to a close tonight, I have a few questions I'd love for you guys to reflect on. The first question is, are you willing to actively participate in Jesus' command to make disciples? Are you willing to actively participate in Jesus' command to make disciples? I encourage you tonight, as the worship team plays, just take some time and be honest with the Lord about this. Talk to the Lord. Share, like, where you're at. Share if this is something you're excited for, if you're pumped, you're ready to go. 
or share like fears, concerns, like insecurities with him. He wants you to talk to him about those things and then ask him to give you the courage to partner with him in this. Ask him to give you passion for this. Second question is how is God asking you to grow as a disciple maker? How's God asking you to grow as a disciple maker? Just like I mentioned at the beginning, some of, the, some of us have heard this a million times. We've heard go make disciples a million times. Others, this might be the first time we've ever heard this. This might be the first time we've realized, oh, like I have a part to play in God's plan. That's okay. Both those things are great. What matters is what you're going to do with it, right? So ask the Lord, God, like how can I specifically grow in this area? For where I'm at right now, how can I specifically grow? And maybe that for you is just taking the first step and following Jesus' example and spending some serious time in prayer. Just asking him, like, who is in my life right now who's hungry to know you? Or maybe it's actually reaching out to someone, taking that step and, like, sharing, hey, guess what? I follow Jesus. I'm part of Chi Alpha. Do you want to, like, join me in this? Or maybe for you it's opening up your life and letting, go, letting some of your time go to welcome other people in. I don't know what it is for each of us in this room, but I encourage you, just ask God, God, what is one way I can grow right now? So we're going to take just a few minutes, and um, I'm going to have you process those questions. You can journal about it. You can just sit and, like, pray to the Lord. The worship team's going to play a little bit. Um, and then we also get the opportunity tonight to take communion together as a community. And so you guys can process, and then uh, Kennedy's going to give us some instructions for how to go get the elements in the back. And then after she does that, I'll come back up and give us some directions on taking it together. So don't take it by yourself. Wait till I give you directions. Go ahead and process for a few minutes, guys.